It is the Chicagoverse Unlimited podcast, featuring interviews of the premier artists and industry in the Chicago music community. My name is Haima Black. I host this podcast at DynastyPodcast.com. This week, Chris Holmes and an interview recorded on the last night of Lollapalooza 2015 at the Virgin Hotel. Here's how that sounds. Haima Black here on the last day of Lollapalooza, night three. I'm here with Chris Holmes, man. Uh, a guy who I have known in Chicago for a long, long time, but you're here. You kind of dominated this weekend. How is your Lollapalooza weekend going? It was amazing. This was uh, one of the best. We've been coming back every year since it started being in Grant Park, and to be able to come back with McCartney and be able to play on that main stage and look out over the city was one of the most emotional experiences of my life, to see all of my friends and family and stuff there and then just to see the joy when Paul hit the stage is awesome and then to be able to celebrate every night with uh, Nancy Wang came out from LCD and Juan McLean and Wynn Butler came out from Arcade Fire and uh, we've done like four or five after parties but it's been amazing it's been a, a really uh, it's the last show of our tour too for the McCartney tour we've been on tour for about nine months and so it's been a really really amazing time uh, the McCartney tour is literally the best job in the universe I do I, I know you know, but maybe your podcast doesn't. But uh, I open up for Paul doing Beatles remixes before a show, and kind of like the opening band. And uh, you know, so whenever we get to come back to Chicago, it's amazing. We did Wrigley Field a couple years ago. We did the United Center last year, and then to do Lollapalooza is just you know it was magical. I played at Lollapalooza with Sabalon Glitz in 1995 when it was at Tinley Park, and so it was like pretty amazing to have 20 years later be on stage with Paul McCartney. Um, I mean, it's a very surreal thing. The story of meeting him was really weird. I was DJing a Radiohead after party for uh, the Grammys when In Rainbows was out. And uh, I was DJing. And uh, Nigel Godrich and Tom uh, York and Questlove were DJing with me. And Paul McCartney showed up. I'm like, oh, that's like literally the craziest thing that I'll ever do is (laughs) DJ to Paul McCartney. and then the next day, I got a call from Nigel, and he's like, oh, Paul McCartney just called up for your phone number. Um, he's going to give you a call. And, uh, you know, I mean, they don't have opening bands at festivals, uh, so it's uh, a very weird thing. And so someone called me up from his office, and they're like, I think Paul's going to give you a call, so just answer any block calls that you get. Um, and so for, like, two weeks, I was answering every call, and I'm like, hello. And like, <laughs> it's just cruise ships. Yeah. Like, Indian <laughs> pharmacies and, like, you know, like Canadian pharmacies and bill collectors. And I'm like, God, oh, you're not fucking Paul McCartney. <laughs> like, what? And, uh, I went down. I was in Mexico City, and they have, like, their version of Coachella and Lollapalooza down there. And was out till 5 in the morning drinking tequila with, like, uh, I, I, like Errol Alkin was there. And, like, it was just bananas. And, and uh, I was like, oh, cool. Well, that, at least I got to DJ for the radio party. 6 o'clock in the morning, I get a block call, and I'm like, oh. I'll answer it. It's like, hello, Chris. This is Nodule's friend, Paul. It's like, like, what do you, what do you have in mind? He's like, just do your thing, man. Like, it's cool. Uh, And so, uh, I played uh, the Coachella with him, and I had like a half an hour before he took the stage, and I did remixes of Beatles covers, and I thought that that would be the craziest thing I ever did. And when I was DJing, you know, Jeff Lynne from ELO, Elvis Costello, Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys, and Paul were standing like four feet to the side of me. There's 60,000, 70,000 people in front of me, totally unaware of them, just like four of my top music heroes in the world are standing right next to me, kind of trying to figure out how I'm DJing on my computer and what it is that I'm doing. And uh, so that happened. I'm like, that's the best thing that will ever happen. And then uh, 
like a, a year later, I get a call and they're like, oh, we lost your phone number. Um, do you want to come to Brazil with us? Like, uh, you know, maybe maybe you can tour and open up all of the tours. And uh, so I've been doing that for about five years now. And it was just absolutely amazing to, to have this leg of the tour end in Chicago and be able to celebrate with everybody. And, you know, it's, it's the best job in the world where you're playing for, uh, you know, a, a, an artist that music has become the language of how people learn to love, how people learn to, you know, rebel, how people learn to, you know, have courage. And, like, you go around the world and it doesn't matter what country you're in. Like, everyone knows exactly what every one of Paul's songs and the Beatles songs mean. And so, like, people, you know, you be in Korea, and they might not speak English, but they know the meaning of, you know, let it be. And, and it's, uh, it's absolutely amazing to watch that universality. And it's, it's true with all music, but with Paul, it's like, you know, the kind of apex of that where you realize that, like, there's never a moment that isn't absolutely, like, someone's having the best moment of their life. So to be able to open up for that and to be able to just be able to play songs you know they already love, it's like the best thing ever. So it was really, really cool. So A, all that is just mind-blowing even to, to think about. But, you know, as someone who came out of Chicago, who came from the underground scene here, like, do you ever take a step back and just think, like, how did I get from playing in Wicker Park to opening from Paul McCartney? Yeah, it, was, just... it was crazy. At the, uh, at the festival, Terry Hemmert from XRT was there. Mm-hmm. And I used to listen to Breakfast with the Beatles all the time when I was like in fifth grade, you know. And now you're having breakfast yeah. with. Yeah, and I I went to Beatle Fest like, and she would give lectures on different records and stuff, and they'd have like before there was video releases of Yellow Submarine and Let It Be, they would play those there. And I walk off the stage and she was with Joe Shanahan. It was like you know amazing to see Joe. Um, and Joe's like, have you met Terry before? I'm like, well, I don't know if she'll remember, but I was like 12 years old, and she, you know, she spent time telling me, uh, you know, it's it, it just, I saw her at a festival, and I was like, at the Beatles Fest, and I asked her a bunch of questions, and she took time out, and then when I was working at HBK at University of Chicago, I ran into her a little bit later, and I was like, oh, man, I started DJing because of you, and you being like, oh, yeah, if you've got great taste in music, just do it, and uh you know, it, it was it was such an amazing moment to see her. And she's like, that was the greatest, like, you know, remix set ever. I'm like, oh, you're totally the one that started me on this kind of journey. And, you know, it was like a couple of weeks ago we played in Charlottesville. And my junior high school music teacher that taught me how to play Blackbird and, like, you know, got me into, like, Helter Skelter and, like, you know, the kind of deeper cuts um, was able to come out and see the show. And it's just, it's the it's the best thing ever. And it's like... You know, I'd never, it's it's a job that, like, pretty much shouldn't exist, so it's not something that playing at, like, Lounge X ever thought, you know, I'd be, like, playing with Paul McCartney, DJing, like, it was, the weird transition from DJing stuff was weird, too, because I played in, like, Sabalong Glitz and Yum Yum and Ashtar Command, and, you know, we, I, when I was in Chicago, I played live all the time, and then, you know, I started producing Felix Housecat and, and hanging out with Tommy Sunshine and you know, Derek Carter and James Curd and like a lot of house people and I started doing a lot of remix stuff. And then when I moved to LA, it was such a weird scene because Chicago is such a music city and people come to the shows, they watch the shows and there's a passion for music in the city that's unparalleled. Like, I mean, it's crazy in Brazil. There's like all these different types of music love, but Chicago's the best music city in America. And, and to go to LA where people are like checking their cell phones to see what's going on. Like, I remember the, the month that I moved to LA, Bjork was playing with the Greenlands Ladies Choir, and uh, you know, 
it's like the most magnificent show in the history of the world. And people are like, what, what are you doing after this? And I'm like, God, it, right, right in front of you is like the best thing you'll ever see in your life. And so I started DJing a lot more when I came out to LA because, you know, there was, you're not, you're not self-conscious of people checking your, their phones when you're DJing, but also people tend to just dance and stuff. And, and it, uh, it kind of took away that, uh, that, that, that part of LA that I don't like where people are very, you know, it's like there's hundreds of thousands of people in bands there. There's so many talented musicians in LA. I mean, it's crazy. Like you can find like the first chair chalice. I, a story that I was found was like, we were doing the yum yum stuff and I was working on string quartet. Everyone's like, who the fuck do you think you are, Mozart? Like, because I was using strings and oboes on songs and French horns. And, uh, you know, people totally were like, it was during the period when like Jesus Lizard was uh, around and, and, you know, it was like right around the beginning of Shellac. And everyone just sounded like these, you know, kind of every rock band in Chicago sounded like a cover band of Jesus Lizard or Big Black or, you know, ministry or, or some version of this very macho kind of thing. And the most punk thing for me to do at that time was to make acoustic music and to, to sing love songs. And like, I was, you know, raised on, you know, the Archies and, you know, on, on Beatles songs and on pet sounds and stuff. And, uh, you know, people were like, what, what, what the fuck do you think you're doing putting out a record on a major label? And, you know, you like using these musicians, like you're like, you're so full of yourself, man. Like, do you think you're the zombies or something? And then uh, when I moved to LA, it's like everybody there, there's so many amazing musicians. Like you could find, like the, the example I use is like, if I was gonna put together a string piece in Chicago or do something with an orchestra, you know, I'm, people would, would be totally into it, but there's also a, a side of Chicago where people like to tear down their own, they'd be like, what the fuck do you think you're doing? Like no one gave you permission to write a string ensemble. In LA, I could be like, I'm gonna do a naked kazoo march through like you know downtown, and you could get like first chair cellist from the LA <laughs> Symphony, and you could get like people from bands, and like and like everybody would be fucking amazing and super into it, and like I feel like LA is like the best place in the world if you have a vision and if you've got you know kind of a work ethic. Um, which Chicago definitely instills in everybody because the winters are so fucking brutal. <laughs> but uh, you know, if you have that, like, you can create the most wonderful, amazing stuff. And you know, there's I know so many amazing musicians and artists out in LA. And you know, if, if people, it's kind of like a, a little bit like the, it's like Tom Sawyer or whatever Huckleberry Finn where they're painting the fence. And it's like once you start painting the fence, everyone's like, oh, I'm totally into joining that. Right. And so. It's really cool to have the kind of Chicago work ethic and, and go to LA and uh, and enjoy it. And there's so many Chicagoans out in LA that I see more Chicagoans on a daily basis than I probably that I know than I would walking around in Chicago. So there's definitely a crew of them. Um, yeah, it's awesome. really interesting. At this point in my life, like I'm early 30s, I, I feel like I know more people in LA and New York than I do in Chicago because people just keep moving out to the coast. Um, I don't mean this as a cheesy question. When you're in Chicago, like, what's on your agenda? I don't mean, like, what pizza do you go get? But, like, when you're back here, kind of what, what does that mean for you? Friends. Uh, I get to see my Chicago friends that don't live in L.A. I get to see my family. Uh, it's weird. I'm very, like, Chicago's always going to be my hometown. Like, I watch every Cubs game on TV. I follow the Cubs minor league team. I watch every Bulls game. I watch every Bears game. And, like, Chicago's definitely a state of mind. But when you're here... 
and you get to you know go to Debonair and see Red Hair Matt and hang out with Claudia and see Greg Corner and you know it's just uh, like Harper Reed and like all of these. Greg Corner is Chicago. Yeah, Greg Corner is Chicago. It's like I've known Greg since he was like in right out of high school and like you know Harper, who's now like one of the top tech geniuses in the world, used to juggle for my band. It's like uh, it, it's awesome, and it, I mean the food in Chicago is also just so next level. Um, and just the kind of warmth of the city, the architecture, it's just a feeling being here. And it's great because whenever I'm here, there's like crazy stuff going on. So it's like going to Chicago adult Disneyland for me. It's like, <laughs> you know, I, I haven't come back and, you know, it's usually there's, there's some event going on, like someone will be on tour. We came when Adams for Peace played and did a party at Debonair or like, you know, and so it's always, everyone's always really excited and it's, uh, it's just it's a magical city for me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's weird. Like, I, I want to go back to Hyde Park. I haven't been back there since I moved because it was, you know, like I spent 15 years down there. And it's, uh, it, it, there's a scene in Cinema Paradiso where, uh, you know, like at the end of the movie, he's like, just don't, don't go back to like, you know, this, like move on in your life and keep growing and keep these memories with you as your kind of basis. And they'll always be a part of you. They'll never leave you. And if you go back, you'll stop growing. And there's something like that. Like, I don't feel that when I go to, you know, Wicker Park or, you know, downtown or go to Lollapalooza stuff. But uh, it's been tough. I'm going to try and go down Hyde Park and look at my old house and stuff. But, uh, you know, like living somewhere for 12 years, that's like longer than I lived in any house as a kid. And so, um, you know, I definitely, I have such amazing memories of, uh, of University of Chicago and Hyde Park and stuff. And, um, I heard that they just opened a new club down there, Jake from Rocktober and mm. uh, Bruce from the Empty Bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Promotory, I think. Promotory, yeah. yeah. Um, and they had, a, they had a big party there today. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's so awesome. Like, it's crazy. Like, living in Hyde Park, like Obama lived, like, down the street from me. And, like, you know, there was, like, all these Nobel winners. And, you know, Louis Farrakhan lived a block away. And it's just such a little magical place and time. And... I haven't been able to fully go back there and experience it because it's like once you've kind of graduated, it's like there's it's a different people every four years other than the professors. But the rest of Chicago stays the same for me, and it's uh, it's awesome, and I get to see all my friends, and um, it feels like home. But because it is home, you know. Yeah. Something that I've always you know like recognized with your work is that um, I don't know how to say this. I, I don't. At all, mean it as like any kind of like slight. It, it seems like you're always the guy next to the guy, behind the guy, opening for the guy. You know, like you, you've worked with such an enormous names, you've been able to be part of so many different things. You know, and obviously you've also already always had your your own projects. You know, Ashtar, Yum Yum. But kind of what's that like? Where like you are, you know, working with a Paul McCartney, you're working with some of the other big names you've done. Where you're not front and center, but you've you've gotten to be a big part of so many big things. It's uh, I mean, I think it's a conscious decision that I made, and it probably had a lot to do with you know being in Chicago and putting out the Yum Yum record, where you know the fucking jackass Peter Margazax of the world, and you know just uh, like that Chicago like just vile fucking hatred for people trying to do something like that happens to every band that's signed to a major label when not like 
I mean, it blew my mind when Retro Yamagata put out a record. People were like, fuck Retro Yamagata. How could anybody in the world ever, like, you know, it's like, or Liz Fair, they were like, fuck Liz Fair. And, like, you know, even fuck Jesus Lizard when they did, like, and it was just like, holy shit. Like, and I think that, that uh, at some point I was like, you know, you can have all those experiences and not be sitting up front. And I've always been a bigger fan of kind of putting things together and, you know, like kind of, like Brian, you know, using the studio as the instrument and using like, uh, like I remember Jim DeRogatis like gave me some shit a couple of, like maybe ten years ago and was like, "What the fuck are you doing DJing like Hollywood parties for like Paris Hilton and and you know you you should be making masterpiece records and you're like wasting your talent." And it was like, "Fuck you, man!" Like I influence more music by playing stuff like the Stooges and turning people on to the Mekons and in LA. And you see those things ripple through from a song like, you know, the clapping song from Shirley Ellis or whatever. And you play it at a bar and then like three weeks later it ends up in a fucking car commercial. And then someone makes an amazing cover of it. And it's like, you just see these ripples of things. And it's like, and I have such a, a chance to make a bigger impact on society and kind of make the world a little bit cooler of a place. And it's really great to be able to nurture other people to create something great without you know feeling like it's a judgment of you and i think that a lot of that was you know coming from chicago and just experiencing that like backlash for trying to do something cool and just seeing it over and over again that um and and it kind of happened organically it wasn't like i ever planned to do anything like i didn't plan to play in the smashing pumpkins i didn't plan to like you know produce felix i didn't plan to like tour with daft punk or radiohead it's just kind of like, I've since I've lived in Chicago, it was like I was always the person that people were like, oh, like, hook up with that guy. Like, he'll show you cool things to go do. And, like, you know. And, and then when I moved to L.A., it was even more so because people were like, oh, like, yeah, I know that guy from Chicago. And, like, go hang out and stuff. And, uh, and I kind of became this weird cultural ambassador and organizer. And, and so it's like, you know, this weekend's a really good example of that where, you know, playing with McCartney at Lollapalooza was fucking amazing. But, like, the real work that I did this weekend was, like, you know, putting together these events and getting, you know, like, Nancy Wang to come out and Wynn Butler to come out and, like, you know, create spaces and events for stuff that, like, if you didn't do it, you know, there's going to be shitty Top 40 music playing or shitty, like, you know, like, trap music playing or, you know, and I think it's, like, it's really gratifying to be able to to be the one safe kind of place for artists. We just created a company called Artists for Artists and you know, I realized that that's kind of what I've been doing the last 20 years is like doing events for artists. So it's like, you know, we hosted Daft Punk's Grammy party for Random Access Memories. I hosted Spike Jones's uh, Oscar party for her. And it's like creating spaces that feel like family for people and that don't have the fucking shitty red velvet rope and aren't, you know, looking to have models and bottles come. It's like, you know, because I know how much th that feeling of just seeing, like, with Tom York, I used to go and tour with Radiohead and DJ the after parties, and, you know, Tom would come, and, and I think he realized that being behind the DJ booth, you have this kind of shield up. So he could be out and be social and hang out without having fans come and tell him, you know, the last thing in the world that he wants to hear about how much he changed their lives. He just wants to make music and wants to be a person and like most everybody wants that and like 
it, it's great to be able to kind of sometimes create, you know, spaces where it, it's it's safe for that and, and to encourage more of that. And I feel like, you know, that, that connecting, you know, artists together, it's like so many people have like met their wives at my parties or like, you know, like actors have met directors or, you know, and it's just, it happens very organically. It's never like, oh, I'm going to invite these people and these people and I'm going to put them together in a room and something magical is going to happen. It's just like creating spaces where it's it's fun and it's safe for people to go and hang out and it's really gratifying and there's none of that uh, kind of, again, like, just in case you're wondering. I remember I, I did this music with a Kuali band in, in Chicago that were, uh, they're the teacher family for Nosrat Fatir Ali Khan and like, uh, they're like the, the master musicians of Sufi Kuali music. And they came over and they did a, a, a show at my house. And uh, my neighbor was an imam in the Sufi religion. And we did a performance. And it was like a couple of the guys from Red Red Meat. And we did this little performance. And then the next time, uh, they were like, oh, let's play your music. So we did an Ashtar command thing. And they played Ashtar songs with us. And it was one of the most magical things I've ever done. But like, I just remember it was like somebody in the reader's like, I, and I hooked him up with uh, Idful at the time, and Casey Rice recorded them. But they were like, just in case you were wondering what, what that asshole was doing, like he's recording Indian music now. And it's just like, holy shit, like there's just that like fucking dick. And it's like, I'm such a sensitive person. And like, you know, it's like I, it's like I don't, it's weird because the world's changed so much with like Facebook and like everything that you do is in public. Every, you know, it's like, it's amazing to be in Chicago. And everyone's like, oh, how's, how's Sweden? And I'm like, oh, right. Because everything I do is like, you know, and you can kind of keep in touch with people without being there. But uh, yeah, I think that uh, people need to chill the fuck out in Chicago <laughs> and, and, and be more nurturing of their artists because, uh, you know, I think I end up lucky with it. But I think that, you know, you've got people like, like Corrigan, he's a fucking genius, but it's like Billy's entire life just feels like he's not cool enough or not good enough because there's some dick fucking dude that, you know, doesn't think he's Radiohead or doesn't think he's fucking like, you know, like, you know, Steve Albini. And it's like, and even when you're Steve Albini or like, uh, you know, like Drag City or whatever, it's like the things that I fucking loved. I went to every Drag City show, but even those guys, it's like years later, realize that like they get it from everybody too. And it's like everybody, it's just this like, constant like uh thing that's ingrained in, into the uh kind of chicago psyche and it's it's really unhealthy and like you know maybe it makes people tougher maybe i'm i mean i definitely wouldn't be who i was unless it, everything exactly happened like it did but uh you know it's like i really feel like chicago should celebrate the greatness that comes from it it's like there's so much so many musicians that are fucking amazing and you know it's like just i just feel like uh it's it's the best city for people to come from and it's the hardest city for people to kind of stay at if they want to make music and and stay you know f functioning as an artist where there's a lot of other areas like if you're in Nashville and you're a studio musician sure. yeah you know it's like there's an entire industry for you to do there it's like in Chicago after playing in the pumpkins and DJing with Billy it's like they're or, or, or playing keyboards and pumpkins which was absolutely surreal like you know, it, it was like I could build, like the recording industry was all the big Chicago studios were shutting down, you know, like 
R. Kelly, I think, had a lockdown on the one Neve board that was in the city. And, you know, I, I think everybody kind of moved to, like, laptops. And, like, you know, there's still, like, Albini's studio. And, like, I saw Bob Weston last night. It's like he's got an amazing mastering studio with mastering. Right? I was like, Chicago's still fucking amazing for, for nurturing artists. And, you know, there's, like, like the Flo Stradamus guys. And, they're, you know, I mean, Chicago hip-hop. And, like, even, like, Kanye. It's, it's fucking crazy. It's like, Kanye's a really good example where everybody, I remember, like, you know, Kanye from, like, the... Like kind of Derek Carter, James Carter. He was trying to put out something on James's label at something on Greenskeepers, and like everybody's like, yeah, you know, like fuck that guy. Who does he think he is? Common, you know. It's like, <laughs> and, and like I'm not saying that the way that Kanye works at the world looks at the world isn't completely insane, but I think that like that Chicago thing like has a lot to do with that. You know, it's like just thinking that nothing you ever do is good enough, so that the only way that you can be is just so blusterful and like be like. Or blustery or whatever the word would be and like you know just like fucking peacocking because you just don't give a fuck anymore you know it's like I started doing superstars of love and like doing ridiculous electro music because it was the opposite of me singing like love songs with a string quartet and people judging me and it was like you know like Tommy Sunshine and I made a bunch of music and you know ended up doing stuff with these guys in LA the Virgin Tears but like it just uh you know, that vulnerability that you have as an artist that you need as an artist, that, like, where the fucking magic and gold happens is, like, you know, I mean, can you imagine if Paul McCartney was sitting there and writing songs and people were like, oh, dude, you know, I, I heard uh, this guy, John Fahey, play guitar, and, like, you kind of sound like you're ripping off his style, or, like, Led Zeppelin, like, is an even better example for Fahey. But like being like, yeah, you know, whatever, like, or like, why are you guys playing blues music? Why are you guys trying to be Chuck Berry, you know? Like, we already have Chuck Berry, you know? And it's like, they a lot of stuff gets stalled at this level where it isn't able to develop into the Beatles because people become so self-conscious of being put in a box that they either explode the box or they just stay in this little world. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's amazing to like, to have that like reality is what you make of it and so much of of you know the kind of nurture versus nature with artists if if people like if you go to Iceland like there's so many fucking amazing poets and musicians and stuff because people are like oh that's totally cool that you're making music be amazing at it you know like I, I can't wait to see what you do you know and it's like I, I really feel like uh, like it would be great if uh, if people kind of, uh, you know, were able to embrace that. It's like, I used to associate it with Pitchfork, and then I met Ryan that runs Pitchfork, and he's the nicest fucking dude in the universe. It was really funny, because, like, I don't think Pitchfork's ever reviewed any of our records, and he's like, oh, man, like, you know, the Ashtark Man record's one of my favorite records ever. And it's like, oh, right, cool, because Pitchfork wouldn't review it, because my bandmate was in Filter, you know? And it's like, just these crazy fucking artificial things where you're like, okay cool like you know some rock critic like uh you know was pissed off at me when i was 19 years old because i roller skated around wicker park or something or offered them a ride home when it was like negative 20 degrees outside and i saw them walking on the side of the street they're like wonder what that guy's agenda is it's like oh i saw you walking in the cold and i thought i'd give you a ride <laughs> i wasn't trying to get you to review my band it was like you know we live in the same world and you know it's it's really weird i mean you know, Dear Goddess and Cot are like amazing 
rock critics and it's like you know you see Wilco and, and bands that do manage to make it out of Chicago and and do amazing stuff consistently over a long period of time but it's like those guys get it too and it's just it's fucking it's it's crazy to me um and I, I just uh you know I, I love the city so much I love the people in the city so much I love you know the the history of the city so much you know it's uh it's a really magical place and uh, I fucking hate the, the skepticism and bitterness so much too and it's like I, I, it's really hard to divorce myself from that it's like when people talk about the weather in Chicago they're like oh it's really great in spring and fall it's really fucking hot in summer it's really fucking cold in the winter I feel like in my heart like music's a little bit like that in Chicago like the best things in the world is like Chicago spring like the best thing in the world is hearing an artist from Chicago that you've never heard before and like you know, seeing this magic and how it kind of comes together. And then the worst thing in the fucking world is that, like, snobby fucking, like, rock critic vibe where everybody's like, who the fuck do you think you are? Like, you know, should fucking, like, you know, there's a... And I think it's, like, a, a Midwestern thing where it's like, don't don't peacock, don't, don't act like you're bigger than you are, which is cool. Like, people shouldn't be fucking arrogant dicks. I mean, I remember when Urge Overkill was playing there fucking, like, they treated everyone like shit, you know? And it's like, if, if you treat people like shit totally cool to be like that guy's a fucking dick but if you're a nice guy like you know don't like look to tear people down and uh you know it's like you see that when you, everybody lifts each other up it's like look at the wu-tang model it's like you know everybody it's inclusive and it's like everything that everyone else does lends to you know creating more awesome stuff and you know i really think that that's like the one thing and it's it's probably a lot in my head but a lot of artists that I've talked to that are from Chicago it's like DB that you know right wrote Gross Point Blank it's like you know and and did High Fidelity and like had like all the like Dan Kretzky was like his high school friend and like you know it's like realizing that even in his world he was just getting that shit all the time too and it's like I just feel like maybe uh, people should chill the fuck out and really appreciate what they have here and, uh, I mean, people could say, fuck off, you live in L.A., you're not in Chicago, you don't deal with it. Uh, but, you know, I think when you're away from a city, you see the definition of it a little bit better than when you're in it. You know, it's like, I, I miss Chicago so much. I miss the, I miss Lounge Acts. You know, I miss Lounge Acts so much. I miss being able to go there any night of the week and see a fucking amazing band. I saw thousands of shows there. Something like, there's a guy, Adam Jacobs, that recorded every show at Lounge Jacks. You know, he's got like 10,000 things. Or being able to go to the Metro or go to Double Door and just see like the best music in the world any night. It's like that doesn't, it's not like they're not venues in LA with great stuff. And there's just so much shit going on. And there's like, you know, it's like that magic isn't in the air, you know. And it's like, it's, uh, it should be cherished and nurtured. And, you know, when, when I think about Chicago, I think a lot about that. It's like, it's a little bittersweet. I love this city more than any city in the world. And I just wish it would stop being such a dick to itself. <laughs> you know? So, um, does that make sense? I'm sorry. Yeah, that no. the longest answer to a really simple question. Well, I know we got to wrap up here. Um, I, I, could, I could talk to you for, for hours. This has been amazing. I would love to do a follow-up next time you're in Chicago, Manx. This has been great. And sure. the one thing I'll say, you know, to, to hopefully give you some hope from this is that the I, so I teach at Columbia College oh, in addition awesome. to all the music journalism stuff I do. The younger generation that's coming up making music in Chicago is so much more 
supportive. They That's are the awesome. opposite of the model. I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah. The new generation, late teens, early 20s, they are so unified, so solidified, and so supportive. That's great. So what's happening now is the opposite of all that. Yeah. I remember, like, uh, is it Hollywood Holt? Is that, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. like, I remember talking to him about it, and he was like, no, man, it's cool. Like, we all totally, and I was like, awesome. And that dude's such a nice guy, you know, and be like, so I definitely, it was a moment in time in the late 90s in, in Chicago, but, uh, you know, this city is, is magic, and... You know, you definitely feel it when you're here. Um, you know, I'd love to do more stuff here. It's great. There are all these amazing hotels opening. It's amazing. You've got Pitchfork Fest and Lollapalooza, like, right next to each other. It's crazy. Like, every it's great band in the world comes here, and every great band in the world fucking loves here because the audiences are so fucking amazing. I mean, it's, uh, it's really awesome. Well, let's do this, man. I mean, if you were up for it. Like, I teach at Columbia, like I said. I'd love to have you come speak at a class or do a workshop with you here or do a panel. Anything, because I think what you're talking about, and obviously all of your amazing experience, would be so great for a large-scale live audience. But uh, Chris Holmes, really doing incredible, amazing things, man. Thank you so much for taking some time. You're someone who I've known around the city for a long time, but we've never got to formally do this. I really appreciate it. See, one of the best things in Chicago, too, is I've known you since you were, like, 18, probably. And seeing you grow and knowing that you're teaching at Columbia now, that like warms my heart and makes me so fucking proud of the city. You know, you see someone like Tyler Curtis, like, mm -hmm. you know, I remember we came to Chicago and we're like, oh, you should do like a Cobra Snake thing for, for Chicago. He's one of the best photographers in the world now. And it's like traveling with Man United and shooting for McCartney. And like, it's just, he shot my wedding and every photo looked like a fucking Fellini, like masterpiece portrait. And it's just like, he's, it's just that stuff, you know, it's like, it just makes me really fucking happy to hear. So I'd love to come in. I'd love to help out any way I can and share some of the lessons that I've learned so that it's uh, it's better and more fun for the next generation because that's why we do this shit. I love it. Uh, Chris Holmes, thank you so much, man, for the time. Really appreciate it. Right on. This has been the Chicagoverse Unlimited Podcast. Thanks to Chris Holmes for being on the show this week. You can find more Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, my name is Haima Black. Dynasty Descend.